0: Welcome everyone to another episode of Stat Stories, a StatMuse original. I'm Chad Shanks. And I am Justin Gabatko. While the other two major sports leagues have seen huge shifts towards embracing the more extreme outcomes of their respective game, Major League Baseball, not known to quickly embrace change, is finally joining them with an unprecedented rise in what's known as the three true outcomes. We're going to explain it as we rock the mic like a vandal in episode 30, To the Extreme. So without a doubt, the story of the 2017 MLB season thus far has been Yankee slugger Aaron Judge, who at the break had a 330 average, 30 home runs, and 66 RBI as a rookie. Damn! Now we could do an entire episode on how incredible he's been. You know, it would have some type of pun on his last name as the title. We'd have cute artwork with him wearing a robe and a gavel and all that kind of stuff. And we say things like, this is the best rookie season since Ichiro, or... This is the most devastating power display by a rookie since Smart McGuire, blah, blah, blah. You know, great takes of, of that like that you've seen everywhere. However, the judge narrative took a little turn after he slid into a 1-for-18 and then a 3-for-25 slump after the All-Star break. A break in which he put on what was, for my money, the best home run derby performance since Josh Hamilton. Duh. Did you watch the derby, Justin? Are you a derby fan? I watched parts of it. I...
1: It's entertaining for to me like for a small period of time, and then it just kind of becomes tedious. So I I watched most of the first round, and then lost interest after that. Just like I said, it's just it just becomes tedious. It's not like a dunk contest where you can kind of change things up. I mean, the goal is always the same, right? To hit the ball out of the park, and there's really no nothing you can do to make that more enticing to me anyway. Um, so I, I watched like part of it, like I said.
0: Yeah, I definitely see that criticism. I had lost interest after, like, as a kid, that was the highlight of my summer. I look forward to it every summer. Uh, But just kind of lost interest over the years. But I think Judge, this last one, was impressive enough, you know, when he's banging balls off of the the back glass, you know, outside of the stadium. Like, it was impressive enough to to really make me say, wow, once again. But since anything less than the best is a felony – Judge's 25 at bat blip revived one of the most tired and inaccurate myths in all of sports that the home run derby ruins player swings. So here's a here's a take from 120 Sports.
1: Now obviously Judge lived up to the hype winning the home run derby earlier this week, but there is that whole thing called the home run derby curse.
0: Doyle, do you think that he's falling victim to that? Or is I, that an overreaction?
1: I think it's an overreaction. Now what Aaron Judge could have used was some R&R. I know you just went down to Mexico, recharged batteries a little bit. Oh
0: yeah. That's, what,
1: that's what Aaron Judge needed. You know what he didn't need to do? Go out there and put on a, a sick performance like this. So it is the home run
0: derby curse. Judge himself wasn't concerned as he channeled Sam Hinkey on SportsCenter to calm the overreactors. It's, it's all about trusting the process, guys. Um, even if you start out, hot, out out of the gate or slow out of the gate, you know, just trust the process and keep grinding. It's a long season.
1: Well, everybody and their mother was trying to analyze what had gone down, the, the slow start right after the All-Star break. Did you feel any different? Were they pitching you any different?
0: No, nothing changed. You know, it's just 20 at-bats. You know, I'm going to get 400, 500 at-bats this year. You know, I'm not going to be too worried about just 20 at-bats. You know, it's just about, like I said, you know, sticking to my routine, getting back into the grind of things, and you know, everything will work out. Yeah, so even Judge is telling people, calm down. It's only been four games. So like. Sample size is more important in baseball than basically any other sport. Right? Do you do you agree with that, Justin? Is that no. an overstatement?
1: I disagree. It's important in everything: sports, economics, meteorology, everything. Sample size is important.
0: Yeah, but do you think baseball, especially compared to basketball, football, even no. hockey, no, so- no,
1: it's important in everything. Period. It's not well, like more a import- one game. One it's game not, in, it's in not NFL more important. Is,
0: it tells can tell you a lot more than even like 10 games in baseball just cuz there's so many games.
1: That's not what you said though. I said it's more important I mean re- important obviously to consider, okay obviously it's especially relative the game level. Obviously obviously it's relative to the season length.
0: Yes. All right. But ultimately the we're in agreement 20 20 at bats in the MLB regular season is ultimately meaningless on its own. Correct? We can agree on that at least. Right, if your goal
1: is to to tell whether or not a player is in a quote unquote slump, yeah, I would not base it on twenty at bats.
0: Yeah. And judge Judge proved this when the Yankees at the at the tail end of all these hot takes go into Seattle and then he does this. That is 31, OMG. So that call was from the Yes Network, a call that indicated that nearly hitting a ball completely out of what's been known as a pitcher's park is as good a sign as any that uh, a slump be busted. Still, the myth of the home run derby curse prevailed. So let, let's go back to 120 Sports after Judge nearly left Safeco. Here's what they said.
1: Baseball, but talk a little Yankees. Your boy Aaron Judge been a little off yep. right i don't want to be too hard on the guy no you but gotta call like it is That's... since the home run derby maybe the home run derby curse <clears throat> he hasn't been hitting home runs like he used to on friday he finally got one his first home run since july 7th do you think the judge is back on track now and going to return to his first half performance or is it still a little questionable
0: i i, no. I think he's back on track. no 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 all right there's first of all there is no such thing as the home run derby curse. There is no data whatsoever that backs that up. The fact that he's now crushing again doesn't validate your claim. Now, alright, we're picking on 120 Sports uh, because I easily found these clips online, but they're far from alone in perpetrating this false notion. So, I wanted to make this whole episode about disproving it and like discussing the numbers that prove there's no post derby dip and all that good stuff, but. You know, however, I discovered that for every one bad take insisting that a drop in home run ratio in the second half proves the derby kills power. I found two articles outlining the various factors that disprove it, like ones from the likes of Fangraphs, 538, you know, good reputable sources that show that, you know, instead of saying that there's a post derby dip, that it's actually derby participants who are often chosen after posting insane first halves. And then they ultimately end up just regressing to the mean. Like, is that, an, is that an overly simplistic way of looking at it, Justin? I know there are other factors, but this is, that's one of the, the, the main arguments for why there's this misconception.
1: No, no, no disagreements from me. Yeah,
0: I mean, you, you hit the nail on
1: the head there. So you have players who are probably performing above what their true power level is, say, in the first half of the season. And then they're invited to the, to the home run derby. And it should be expected that they will regress a bit in the second half of the season and see their home run rates uh, tumble. And the same thing is going to happen to players who underperformed in the the first half. You know, players who maybe didn't um, hit as many home runs, say, as would have been expected in the first half of the season. You'll probably see those guys in the second half of the season have better home run rates. So, yeah, it's just regression toward the mean. It's really nothing to
0: get excited about. Yeah, so you got guys like Bobby Abreu, Brandon Inge, Garrett Anderson, who've been propped up as the Exhibit A's. They're merely just coming back down to earth, showing what they what they really are. They are who we thought they were! Um, so instead of breaking down all these numbers here, we'll post links on our blog at blog.statmuse.com to all these articles, so you'll know that the only thing more overdone than the Home Run Derby ruins players' take is the... Here's the data that proves the Home Run Derby doesn't ruin players article. But still so my problem is why do people still believe it if so many reputable sources have disproven it? All right? My problem is well your this, assumption is that people
1: are reading these articles you're citing. I'm not sure how many like yeah. ca- casual baseball fans are reading FanGraphs or 538.
0: Yeah, and it's just much it's much easier to say the home run derby ruin swings and actually lay out all the data and all the all the information so yeah but my problem just overall in, in life is people believing things without any evidence be it in baseball or the controversial subjects of politics or religion you know except for your political beliefs or your religious beliefs dear listeners your beliefs are right and it is everyone else who is wrong we all know this So I could spend a whole hour talking about how much a problem I have with this uh, and just bring you all down into my existential funk that I exist in every day. But, as always, if I have a problem, yo, Justin Kabatko will solve it. So while I was trying to convince him to dedicate an episode to whining about how people will believe just anything, he proposed this much more nuanced idea concerned with how an extreme player like Judge and the extreme overreactions to his mini slump could be a byproduct of baseball embracing actually its more extreme outcomes. So that was a that was a ton of preference just to get to the point where I can stop, collaborate, and listen. As you explained to me, Justin Kabatko, what the hell is going on with Major League Baseball this season?
1: Okay, as long as you're not going to ask me to explain all these Vanilla Ice references, I'm good to go.
0: No, I think... At some point in your explanation, you need to work in the phrase, word to your mother. I will see if I can do that, if it fits in at some point. If not, that's how we'll close the episode. All right, Justin, what the hell is going on with Major League Baseball this season? That's
1: a pretty vague question. Can you be more precise in your phrasing? Like, In terms of why we're we're seeing such unprecedented levels of strikeouts in walks and home runs?
0: Yeah, they have just shifted greatly. It's been, it's been a trend upward, but this season has seen them just greatly shift to what what you've told me has been called the three true outcomes, which is something that I, I wasn't very familiar with until you until you told me about it. But I right, think, so I yeah, let's back up a something.
1: second. Let's back up a second and explain this, because this may not be a term that's familiar to a lot of people, especially if you're not a, a big baseball fan. Um, so... I can't remember who coined this phrase or when it came about. It was sometime probably early to mid 2000s and people described um home runs, strikeouts and walks as the three true outcomes, basically meaning that you know, those two things are pretty much 100% or not 100%, but a very large percentage of those outcomes are due solely to the batter pitcher matchup, right? There's no influence from anybody on the field of play other than maybe the catcher who has a small influence on on walks and, and strikeouts um, so yeah and so like the, the player at the time who sort of um, embodied this this approach to the game was Adam Dunn you remember Adam Dunn who used to play for the Reds and the White Sox the big donkey um, yes so Adam Dunn, was, he was an all-or-nothing hitter, basically. I mean, he came up to the plate, and he would either hit a home run, he would strike out, or, walk, or he would walk. I mean, I think it was like close to half of his plate appearances in his career resulted in one of those three things. So that's, that's sort of where the idea started. And what we've seen is we've seen in Major League Baseball sort of a, an all-out embrace of this approach to the game. So if you go back to like 1980... Or let's actually let's not go back yet. Let's start with this season. So this season, we are seeing basically one third of all plate appearances end with one of those three things, which is ridiculous. If you go back to nineteen eighty, okay, about a little over twenty two percent of plate appearances resulted in one of those three true outcomes. So we've seen an increase of fifty
0: percent coming to to today. Um, You know, how many? Sorry, how many, how many possible outcomes are there for batter steps to a plate? Like you just, it's any, any possible way of getting on base, walk, single, right. double, walks, triple, hit by run, pitch.: Yeah, walks, hit by, by pitch, pitch. Uh, reaching on an air, those sorts of things. And then just general out, or do you go as far as saying Yeah, no, of course, out, yeah. Ground no, gen- out. No. Well, I mean,
1: that's an out is an out, right?
0: So uh, yeah. a,
1: strike, a strikeout's another kind of out, but then like an out out in the field of play, too.
0: So, there are like eight, nine total possible outcomes when a batter steps in the box, and just three of those outcomes are occurring 30% of the time. Yes. A third of the time. Okay. A third of the time, yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, so, like, yeah, if you go back to the 80s when the game was a lot different, okay? Like, for example, in the 80s, there was a lot more emphasis on speed. And part of that had to do with the way the game was played because of the the stadiums that they played in. They played on what was essentially concrete with carpeting put on top of it. This was not like the nice field turf that you see today. This was the old-style AstroTurf, which was just a disaster. Um, Did you ever but,
0: feel it? Have you ever gotten a chance to feel that stuff? No, have like you? I remember, I remember when I was a kid, the Astros had some kind of like ticket promotion. Like Kids get to come down and... The coaches did like a little clinic before the game and you got to go down in the Astrodome field and like everyone had to like take a knee on the on the grass the, the turf while the coach would explain stuff to you and like you just saw kids everywhere are kind of like rolling on their legs and like complaining cuz it hurt <laughs> like it was it's it was like hard plastic and um, yeah just imagining like you said it was just players playing on concrete with a, a slightly uh, not even a padding. I don't even know how to describe it. Yeah, it was horrible. Absolutely yeah. horrible. And so the approach
1: back then for a lot of teams was load up on speedy guys, slap the ball into the ground, and run like crazy. And yeah. you know that approach w- was, was an approach that worked back then. But just we saw then, like just over time, this percentage of plate appearances that result in one of the three true outcomes has just gone up and up and up and up. I mean, it passed 30% for the first time in 2012. And like I said, now we're up to basically one-third of all played appearances ending one of these three things. So definitely a, a major, major shift in the way the game is played. And I think a lot of this has to do with the Moneyball revolution. I mean, it started before that. But, you know, Moneyball was published, I believe, early 2000s. And I think after reading Moneyball, people sort of became aware that, you know, Walks are a really good thing. Strikeouts really aren't that bad. They're really not that much worse than other outs. And home runs are really, really good, right? So you sort of just embrace this approach where, okay, yeah, we're going to look for power and we're going to look for patience. Strikeouts are going to come with that approach, but that's okay. If we can manage them, keep them within reason, then we'll have a good offense.
0: Well, so have we seen, have you seen, like, like it makes sense just to say, all right, yeah, that sounds like a good a good approach. But I mean, why is it trending up so much just within the last couple seasons, and then especially this season, right? Is there is there any correlation between that and a winning record, or is it just doing anything they can to battle what's becoming like increasingly good starting pitching? Is you know what? Do you have a well, I mean, so
1: if you're thinking about the Moneyball Revolution starting, what, 15 years ago or so, something like that. So now you're talking about guys that are in their mid-20s now were like 10 back then, right? And so this the, the the coaches they've had and the teams they've been on have probably emphasized this stuff more than had been in the past, right? Okay. And so you're seeing players now coming into the game who have sort of grown up in this sort of system where... You know, they're emphasizing power and patience and accepting strikeouts if you can get those two things with it.
0: Yeah. So just the generational shift is finally coming to the the head. Because like I said in the beginning, baseball takes a little bit longer just to get things done. Just not just adherence to tradition, but just that once a player's drafted, you may not see him in the league for five, six years sometimes. And just probably an organizational philosophical
1: shift easy for me to say. Um, Because once again, you know, back in the early 2000s, you had maybe a handful of teams that had analysts, statistical analysts. And now I'm sure every team has at least one. And I'm sure most teams have multiple guys on staff who work on this sort of thing.
0: So how does this compare with what we're seeing in the other leagues, right? So we have the NBA completely embracing three-point shooting and then the NFL um, embracing Passing, which both—if you listen to any of our previous NBA podcasts—that we talked about—it was impossible to avoid how much the three-point shot um, and the prevalence of it now has changed the game, and then how the NFL is just completely different. We did an episode on that about how passing has completely changed the game. So in a way, this is kind of like the the conclusion to our to our game-changing trilogy, right? So is. Do you see do you see comparisons or similarities between what MLB is doing with three true outcomes and what the NBA and NFL have done, like embracing the more extreme aspects of their game? Oh sure, I mean like in the NBA, right? Teams have finally realized
1: that it's better for them to hit thirty five percent of their threes and fifty percent of their twos, and. Some teams have been slow to, to catch on to this and to embrace this. But now, like last season, I mean, every team in the NBA was shooting a ton of threes, right? And so, yeah, I agree that, that this what's happening in baseball is similar to the NBA. And also the NFL, right? The NFL um, has gone really, really pass heavy. Part of that's due to rules changes, right? They, they make it really hard now for the DBs to cover the receivers. But also, I think it's just like teams realized, I'd rather pick up 8 to 10 yards at a time than 3 to 4 yards at a time running the ball. So, yeah, I mean, these these are just examples of 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 the leagues embracing these these sort of I guess, like as you said, extreme outcomes.
0: And so I was wondering too, like, is this is this ultimately good for good for the league to where that's all you're seeing is these all or nothing type plays? So we discussed a lot about with the NBA and how the three point shooting, like, for some. At sometimes, some of the games are kind of unwatchable because that's all you do is have teams dribble down and chunk up a three. But when you have a team that is built for it and actually has a talent to pull it off, like the Warriors, like it, it works. So I'm 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 curious as to where if, if this is going to ruffle the baseball purists who are always upset at anything. But then, just the general fan, is it is this going to be a bad thing? Is it going to make the games? You know, more more boring. If I don't know, some people already think baseball's boring. But do you know what I'm asking? Like, is this? No, no, yeah. I, so I think, I think it's a big
1: problem because I find baseball today to be slightly boring, and I think part of the problem is that what we what we're talking about today is that one third of all plate appearances, basically nobody's doing anything but the batter and the pitcher, and so you're you're losing. A lot of action on the field, you know what I mean, and so I think the, the less action there is on the field, the less compelling the game can be. Um, and, and but I've, I said the same thing about the NBA too. I think they're teetering on the edge here, where they're shooting too many three pointers. And when you have a game where teams are just running back and forth between the three point lines and chucking up shots, that's not really compelling to watch either. So this is not like a, this is not me just hating on Major League Baseball. This is me saying that both these sports are getting to a point where you know like I said they' they're, they're on the edge right now of being something that's almost unwatchable I think
0: yeah oh well, I mean can you imagine it like maybe this is the uh, we're in the growing pains of it and that eventually you're going to see teams settle down and adapt like the reason I asked is because we're see we may be seeing someone coming ahead uh, just a few miles north of where I am right now with uh, the Houston Astros that they may be they may, i mean they haven't won anything yet but they could end up being the warriors of the MLB is the the team that has the the talent and skills to actually pull off this style of play like for instance like right now they're leading the league in 2017 season in team batting average, hits, runs and home runs and they have the fewest strikeouts in the in the majors Right, and Um, so
1: you asked me to look this up, right? So let's share this now because you asked me to look this up. So yeah, you said they're they're first in home runs and they have the fewest strikeouts. So most home runs, fewest strikeouts. In the live ball era, so 1920 to present, the only other team to do that was the 1995 Indians to lead the majors in home runs and also have the fewest strikeouts. And that was an amazing team. That was a a season that was shortened because of the lockout. It was a 144-game season. Indians won 100 games, lost 44. Really, really good team. Unfortunately, lost in the World Series to the Braves, who had uh, an all-time great pitching staff. The best so, pitching staff ever, yeah. <laughs> yeah, possibly, right? And so in a short series, that's that's a huge advantage, to have one of the best pitching staffs ever. Because the Indians had a good pitching staff, but not a great pitching staff. Anyway, um, but yeah, so the Astros are doing something that's only been done once in the, in the live ball era.
0: Yeah, and people have been asking them about it in like a lot of it has been made of their GM Jeff Luno and his embrace of analytics and all that kind of stuff and they're you know helping turn them around from those disastrous 100 lost seasons that you know just taking this approach that the hinky approach that hadn't really been done in in baseball to this level but like as far as what they're doing now with their offense um, it's intentional right they've there's a New York Times article that we'll link to in the blog if you want to read the whole thing, where they talk to um, Dave. They Dave Hudgens, who's the Astros hitting coach, you know, about their approach, and he says, "I don't want guys swinging at a pitch unless they can hit a homer." And you know, a few other things along those lines that show that I mean, this this approach is very intentional. It's take pitches, make the pitcher throw you something, and then whenever whenever you do get it, try to crush it like don't don't go for that little blooper don't you know try to put it in between second and short like try to just drive the ball and of course any team can try that but when you have if you have a team full of full of Adam Dunns you're going to get Adam Dunn results the peaks and valleys and the extreme but when the Astros have a team built for that and that's their concentration like you're kind of seeing that they're able to do the best of both worlds so maybe we're seeing the reinvention of the game playing out before us um, but by the time you listen to this, if you listen to this, find this episode later, we may find out that oh, the Astros turns out you, you still need a really good pitching staff if, or you're, if you run into the whatever today's equivalent is of the of the 1995 Braves, doesn't matter how many if you can drive the ball without striking out if you you can't get on base at all. So who knows? could we could be seeing, we could be seeing the, the game the game reinvented right in front of us. You know, brief aside here.
1: So a home run, right, is basically a one-swing rally. I mean, right, a home run is a rally yeah. in in and of itself. What was funny was, I think it was this past week and earlier this week, Mike Schmidt had said on a telecast that he thought home runs were sometimes rally killers. And so Joe Posnanski, who was a national columnist, just kind of went off on Schmidt. Like, there's no evidence whatsoever to back up the statement that home runs kill rallies. It was funny. It doesn't Goop. even make sense. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't I make mean, sense at all. Yeah, check out Joe's blog if you're interested in his whole take on it. But it, yeah, it was just kind of funny. It's like, it's just home runs kill rallies. It just, yeah, it's silly.
0: A home run is a rally in and of was itself. It, when Mike Schmidt retired, where did he rank on the all-time home run list? It, so he 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 killed a ton of rallies by his own uh, by his own admission. Right, and actually Schmidt ties into this too because
1: he was... Um, in the 80s, you know, one of the most extreme three true, outcome, three true outcome players. And what's funny is, so like, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent here, but like... No, go. I became a baseball fan late 70s, early 80s, and I can remember thinking at the time that... I didn't get why people thought Mike Schmidt was so good because he really had sort of like mediocre batting averages at the time, you know, I I was a kid. I thought, Oh, batting average is really important. Realize now it's not really that important. But at the time I'm thinking, you know, batting average is really important. Well, Mike Schmidt hits like 240 or 250 and he strikes out like a hundred times a year. Yeah. He hits 40 home runs, but he, yeah, you know, it doesn't really balance with that other stuff. And of course I paid zero attention to the, to the walks column back then. Right. Um, but now you look at Mike Schmidt, it's like, yeah, he was really, really valuable. He hit 250, sure, but he hit 40 home runs and he walked 100 times and he played great defense at third. So anyway, just just kind of funny that Schmidt was involved in all that.
0: Yeah. And like going back to kind of like talking about the poster children of the uh, the TTO explosion, like the Aaron Judge thing is what got us onto this topic. But he's not, he's not exactly the best uh, example of that because... In addition, at the break, in addition to his thirty home runs, he had like seventy other hits. Right, he was hitting for a high average. He was doing, you know, he was doing everything. Well, no, but but he does he does he does
1: embrace the three true outcomes. I mean, at the break, he had over two hundred strikeouts plus walks plus homers. He was only the fourth different player to go into the break with two hundred or more three true outcomes. I think the others were, I think. I think Dunn had done it twice. I think McGuire had done it once. And I think Ryan Howard had done it once. So just the fourth different guy. So Judge is definitely a three true outcome player.
0: Okay, but then also, I think you pointed this out to me when I was asking you questions. Like it's not all three true outcome totals or percentages are created equal, right? So you can have a player that has two players that have the exact same like three true outcome percentage, but... One of them could be markedly better than the other, right? so you have someone like like judge who you know has the stats that you said, and then you have someone like Mark Reynolds from a few years ago who could have the same true outcome uh percentage, but he also has like two hundred and fifty strikeouts in the season or something like that so just saying someone has a high three true outcome percentage doesn't necessarily mean they're a great player because it could just be oh, no, striking no. out a whole well, lot. Yeah,
1: because you got to you gotta consider, right, that, that one of those three true outcomes is a negative, not a positive. Home, run, home runs and walks are positives, but strikeouts are a negative. And so obviously the goal for a player who takes this approach is maximize your home runs and walks and minimize your strikeouts. Yeah, you maybe you'll strike out 120 times, 130 times in a season. But if you hit 40 home runs and walk 100 times, that's fine.
0: Yeah. And so, yeah, Judge doing a very good job of this. Um, But, you know, unlike you have guys like, uh, what's his name, Ryan Shimp for the uh, Padres right now, who I think as the time we're recording has like 14 homers and then 12 hits that aren't home runs like on the season. Like he has more home runs than he has like actual hits. Uh, so like no yeah, what, no normal, no no
1: home run more home runs than non home or than non home runs sorry <laughs> you can yes, have yes, more yes, home yes. runs and
0: hits that that would be a neat trick yeah that's gonna that's gonna be a whole new episode explaining how that makes sense yeah but so I'm wondering thinking like how does this apply like grand scheme type things so you look you mentioned Mark McGuire who um got a lot of flack for this like we we did a whole episode on hall of fame voting and what goes into each sport and baseball to its credit actually surprisingly to me came out ahead as far as uh transparency on the the process but in the whole thing and we won't get completely into this tangent but in the whole thing about keeping players out who are associated with peds um the one of the criticisms against mcguire was that like what you said like mcguire all he did was stand up there and hit home runs he didn't he did nothing else in baseball. So, no, well, no, no, that's think- not that's not fair. That's not fair. He walked it's a ton old. of he walked
1: a ton of times and he also was a pretty decent fielding first baseman.
0: Yeah, but you you've you heard that critique, right? During the whole like years he was on the on the ballot. Um oh, sure. probably, no, I think it's a I've heard people say that even if even
1: if you ignore the PED aspect, they still wouldn't vote for him for the Hall of Fame. Is that, I think that's absolute, what you're referring yeah, to. yeah, yeah, oh, okay.
0: Ab- Absolute BS in in my opinion. But like, I'm just wondering if any whoever has that type of mindset on how you evaluate players, um, are we gonna? If this continues, this trend continues, aren't we gonna have an entire class uh, of players who are gonna emerge with? those types of those types of numbers and those types of stats if that's the way the game is going so is it mark mcguire's just going to be getting screwed even more that he was just an early adopter to what's becoming the norm in baseball
1: (laughs) yeah i don't i don't know i mean like it's it's hard to see what's going to happen in the future here is this going to continue to is this percentage going to continue to go up or have we reached sort of a stabilizing point and and we're not going to see it go up much more in the future i don't know we'll have to wait and see i guess
0: yeah but like you said it's not just individual players or superstars or all-stars adopting this approach like it's just it's a league-wide at the team level right right
1: so mentioned earlier about how the sharp increase from 1980 until today and just like on a team basis so through 2009 no team had ever had a true outcome percent three true outcome percentage of 35 or higher And then 2010, the Diamondbacks became the first team to crack that barrier. This season, eight teams have a three-true outcome percentage of 35% or higher. So we're talking about something that had never happened prior to 2010. And now all of a sudden you have eight teams in one season doing it. So it's really, once again, a a really, really big change in the way the the, the teams approach the offensive side of the game. Yeah,
0: just all or nothing. It's a kind of... Come full circle back to what what inspired us to do this conversation with Judge and the Home Run Derby dip. So should we expect to see more peaks and valleys as players are adopting this approach, right? So if you go into a slump and all you're trying to do is hit home runs and get walks, like it's not as obvious that the slump has been broken or it's more difficult to break a slump right so what i'm asking is will sluggers like judge and people who are players who are continuing to adopt this strategy uh, are they going to be more subject to slumps and the subsequent overreactions that come from them are like are we just seeing the beginning of of more of what's to come honestly i I don't know i
1: don't know if if players like this are more prone to slumps than others i mean one thing though that i would personally like about these players is that you don't really i don't well i don't think this is true i don't really think you go into a slump in terms of drawing walks so even if these guys are are not hitting home runs they're still drawing walks probably on a regular basis i don't know if that's true or not but it seems to me to be something that the, the base on balls is sort of slump proof and so therefore maybe these guys are are less prone to go through periods where they're they're basically worthless? I don't know. It'd be a good good thing to research.
0: All right, so that sounds like as good a place as any to put a pretty bow on this, all right? So in conclusion, after a dip in the early 2000s, baseball's moved to the extremes that are the three true outcomes has been steadily on the rise before just exploding in the last two seasons. Will it ever stop? Yo, I don't know. But if you dig strikeouts and homers, you're probably really enjoying present-day Major League Baseball. So thank you very much for listening to us in our non-stop forcing of Vanilla Ice quotes into this podcast. We do appreciate it. If you're listening to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, one of those type places, be sure check out our blog at blog.statnews.com. We'll have some of the resources we mentioned in this episode there for you to go through. Also, be sure follow the company on Twitter at Stat News. You can get Justin at Jay Kabatko, me at at Chad J. Shanks. Send us some questions, send us some comments. Uh, if you have any questions topics you think you'd like to hear us explore on a podcast we'd love to hear them again thank you very much for listening and we'll see you on the next episode of stat stories we're dear mother